I hope that you have been as blessed by our study in the Lord's Prayer as I have been. I've known this prayer since I was little. I came to faith in Christ when I was about nine years old, and I've heard this prayer and recited this prayer over the years. But I feel like this study has helped me to understand it to a new level and to really understand the priorities that we should have in our prayers and the wisdom of Jesus giving us this model for prayer. And so I hope you've been equally encouraged. And if you've missed any of the messages, go onto our website and you can watch them, you can listen to them. This should and really can change your prayer life and that will re revolutionize your spiritual life. So I was studying for this message on uh, Friday and uh, while I was preparing this message, I got an email from Christianity Today magazine. And it had an article entitled, Sin is like walking in front of a bus, a moving bus. And I thought to myself, you know, I've sinned, but I've never walked in front of a bus before. I should read that article. And so I did. And the article is by a woman named Karen who had a very unpleasant experience with a moving bus. She was out of town for work. And she decided that she was going to take a nice walk on a beautiful spring day to the meeting that she had. And after a little while, she got lost. And so she thought, well, I'm just going to head back to the hotel and I'll take a cab to the meeting from there. She didn't see the bus until it slammed into her. And the police said that she flew between 15 and 20 feet. Although she dryly notes that she doesn't remember the flight or the landing that followed. Thankfully, there were people around her, including a couple of nurses who could help her. She remembers one man in particular who asked her her name, and then he, he held her hand the whole time, and he kept saying, Karen, don't lose consciousness. Karen, stay with us. And she said that she couldn't see anything except the blood that was coming down from her head and dripping down her arm, and she was in so much pain that she couldn't stop screaming. You know, realize that that kind of accident, whether it's with a bus or something else, it's pretty common, right? I mean, if you think about it, I'm surprised that we don't come on Sundays just all bandaged up. We're always bumping into something, especially now that we have cell phones that we seem to pay so much attention to. Just about a week ago, a member of uh, my own household, uh, we were talking in the kitchen and she backed up and uh, fell over the dishwasher, the, the Drawer, the door was open and the uh, trays were pulled out and she fell over that and uh, made a, a somewhat graceful recovery. Uh, broke the uh, dishwasher, part of the dishwasher. Um, and so, you know, we, initially you kind of, you know, you're a little scared and then you maybe have a good laugh about it and you realize as we talked more about it, that actually could have been far more serious than it was. If she had fallen all the way into it and the tray broke, one of the knives that was sticking up or a fork that was sticking up could have gone right into her back. And so we, we, we paused and realized, you know, what, what God had kind of spared her from. And so she's fine. She has to get a second job to pay for the repairs of the dishwasher. <laughs> so if you're, if you're hiring, you can just come to me afterwards. That'd be great. But we, we do realize these kinds of things are not at all uncommon. And so Karen reflected on her accident. And she kind of, she came up with a, a sort of a spiritual connection that I think is, is very helpful, helpful for us. She says this, sin is like walking in front of a bus. It's like that in this way, that so often it's just a tiny step away from the standard, a split second error in judgment, a little thing, like paying too much attention to one thing and not enough to another. 
And you know, I found Karen's insight to be very helpful and very thought-provoking. And I started to think about it. I thought, do I see sin that way? I mean, do I agree that, that sinning is like walking in front of a moving bus? And the more I thought about it, the more I, I thought, you know, I think a lot of people would be very quick to dismiss that insight, even Christians. Because you're not going to forget if you got hit by a bus. But if you have a sinful thought, there's a good possibility that moments later you're going to forget it. And I think the challenge is that so often sin does not come with the painful physical consequences that getting hit by a bus does. But here's the question. What if sin is as dangerous to our spirits as getting hit by a bus, but we just can't tell? What does sin really do to us? What does it do to our relationship with the Lord? What if a lustful thought, a prideful comment, a spirit of bitterness, an outburst of anger, or a lie, what if that really is like a bus slamming into our soul? In our passage this morning, as we wrap up our study of the Lord's Prayer, we have the opportunity to see what Jesus thinks about sin and what he wants us to know about it and what he wants us to do about it. And it gives us an opportunity to kind of evaluate how we view sin versus how Jesus views sin. And I think that should be very helpful. Jesus instructed his disciples and he instructs us to ask our Heavenly Father this request. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I think within this request, there are three affirmations. Three affirmations that we need to make as Christians to align our view of sin with Jesus's. And they're going to come up on the screen here. The first is this, that we need to affirm that sin is evil. Second, we need to affirm that we are vulnerable to sin. And third, we need to affirm that God's desire is to help us. And for most of you, I suspect none of those will be all that revolutionary. But my prayer is that as we study this passage together this morning, we'll understand them in a new way. So first is we affirm that sin is evil. There's an old joke that people used to tell about Calvin Coolidge, the 30th president of the United States. He was apparently known as a man of few words. And so one Sunday morning, he went to church while the first lady stayed in the White House. And when he got back, she was concerned that maybe she would have missed something important. And so she said, what was the preacher's topic this morning? And he said, he spoke about sin. And she said, well, what did he say? And the president said, he was against it. <laughs> it's a humorous story, but it kind of highlights the fact that we do tend to take sin lightly, right? We don't see all sin, certainly, as getting, like getting hit by a bus. But in a nutshell, sin is doing something, saying something, thinking something that God tells us not to. Or it's a failure to do something that God commands us to do. In short, it's rebellion. That's really what it is. It's rebellion. And while we may take sin lightly, what we see is that Jesus never took it lightly. He knows what it is. He knows what it does. And while, of course, not all sin is, is equally damaging, all sin is evil. All of it. And we always have to be on guard against justifying it or minimizing it in some way. It is evil. That is the clear testimony of Scripture. 
And it's always foolish to play with something that's evil. I had a friend a few years ago who went to a, a church, visited a church, and uh, she really did not like her experience at all because she said, you know, the pastor just made such a big deal out of sin. And that's not how she views it. To her, sin really isn't all that big a deal. And she wouldn't be uncommon in thinking that way. And in fact, the Bible actually condemns that very common perspective. You'll see in Romans 1, verse 32, though they know God's righteous decree and that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That's actually the world in which we live. Not only sinning, but encouraging others to sin as well. And so our request this morning that Jesus teaches us to make is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And it's really, it's a simple verse, but it's actually a little bit more complicated than it looks at first. The word for temptation is actually a neutral word. It's not inherently negative. And so in some translations, it actually says trial, not temptation. Because when you think about temptation, you think about uh, an enticement to sin, right? And it doesn't make any sense to say, Heavenly Father, please don't try to get me to sin. I mean, why would he do that? He, he wouldn't do that, right? I mean, that actually runs contrary to his character. It runs contrary to Scripture. In fact, that's what James 1.13 says. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Far from wanting to tempt us into sin, God is passionate about us becoming holy as he is holy and wanting us to become more like his son, Jesus Christ. He knows the danger of sin. And like any good parent, he wants to save us from the dangers of that. But when you continue reading in the book of James, you discover that God is not the source of the temptation in our lives. We are actually the problem. The, uh, the next few verses, verses 14 and 15, say this. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And here, I believe, is one of the main reasons why sin is evil. Because sin leads to death. The Bible is clear that sin is not a minor illness. It's not a bruise. It's not an injury. Sin is a death sentence. It inevitably and inescapably leads to death. Adam and Eve were told this, but they didn't believe it. And you and I must take it far more seriously. So consider just a few examples from God's word. The story of Achan's sin in Joshua 7. He stole something, kept something he wasn't supposed to keep after a battle. It led to his death and to the death of actually thousands of other people. You think about King Saul and his disobedience. It cost him his kingship. Ultimately, it cost him his life as well. Then you move into the New Testament. You realize Judas's suicide after betraying Jesus. And in the book of Acts, you have Ananias and Sapphira losing their lives for lying to God. And I think it's clear that one of the reasons why we fail, why we treat sin lightly, is we don't see the consequences of sin. Do you think of those people that I just mentioned, if they understood what was going to happen after they sinned, the consequences of the choices that they were making, if it was so clear in their minds, do you think they would have sinned in the same way? I don't think that they would have. But the problem is we don't see those things. Even though God in his mercy 
shows us all around the consequences of our sin, far too often we kind of push those to the side. And we don't think about the consequences. We just focus on the, the temptation and the sin. But the Bible says that the way of the sinner is hard. And it is. And that's why our passage says not only that sin is evil, but that we must be delivered from it. Sin brings death. And death isn't the end. Death is separation. So when we die physically, our soul, our spirit is separated from our physical body, but it goes on to live forever. But the Bible speaks about a second death, where our spirit is eternally separated from God if we have rejected Jesus Christ. And when we sin now, when you and I as Christians sin now, we actually get a little taste of that hopeless and horrible eternal situation that all who ultimately reject Christ will find themselves in. The worst thing about sin is that it brings a death, a separation between us and God. Because we move away from his holiness. We move away from his presence. It brings isolation and loneliness, not to say anything about what it, what it does to other people. And so for Christians, when we sin, it affects our fellowship with God, our relationship with him. I believe in a far more significant way than we sometimes pay attention to. Until it is confessed, when we sin, the peace that God intends us to have is replaced with anxiety. The freedom that God intends us to have is replaced with greater slavery to temptation and sin. And the joy that God wants to be characteristic of our lives. Well, when we sin and we don't confess it, that joy is replaced with shame and regret. I would have to say that as a Christian, sinning really stinks, right? It's almost as if God has taken all the fun out of it. Some of you were, were, uh, didn't come to faith in Christ until you were later in life, and you remember sinning, and you remember uh, enjoying that sin, at least for a season, certainly longer than you could enjoy it now as a Christian. God has taken that, mercifully taken that away from us. But even still, Christians can do some very ungodly things. It's kind of surprising that we can, but sad, sad to say that it's true. We even justify things that the Holy Spirit is convicting us of. And I would say, as I was reflecting on this, one of the things that surprises me the most is how often we can sin against someone, but then never ask them for forgiveness. We kind of justify in our minds the fact that, well, it's over, or they deserved it, or whatever it might be. But we've genuinely sinned against someone, and we don't ask them for forgiveness. And so I was going to give you an example of, of a, a time when I didn't forgive someone to make this point clear. And as I thought about it, I realized that that would make me look bad. I'm not going to do that. I'm far too fragile for that. So I have another person I'm going to throw under the bus. It's a true story, and it's something I actually reflect on from time to time here. About 20 years ago, there was an argument between two people here at Moody Church, and I was kind of called in to, uh, to try to resolve it. A third party, a witness to what happened, told me that uh, someone in the church pushed someone else. This was a volunteer for a, a, an event. They pushed this, uh, this other person, this guy, so hard, he fell onto a table and uh, he dropped the box that he was carrying. Now, the pusher, and that's not her real name, uh, I had to give her a call, all right? And I called and I just said, hey, I heard this happen. Can you tell me about it? And I always know there's two sides to every story. 
so I just, you know, kind of asked questions. And she went through what happened step by step, very slowly, painfully. And finally she got to the good stuff and she said, well, then I accidentally brushed up against him. And I realized that's about as close to a confession as I'm going to get. So I just asked. I said, well, why would you do that? She did not like that question. That just set her off. She started yelling that I was taking his side, uh, that I was accusing her. I didn't know what I was talking about. I was a horrible person. Um, and then the, the conversation, as you might expect, it, it ended poorly. About two weeks later, Pastor Lutzer, who was our senior pastor at the time, he came into my office, and he had just met for, I don't know, about, about an hour with the pusher. And apparently she spent that hour telling him what a horrible person I am, what a bad pastor I am. And he said, at, at the end of listening to all of these things that she said about you, Bill, she said, I, I asked her, I said, certainly there's at least one nice thing that you can say about Pastor Bill. And she thought about it for a minute, and she said, nope. <laughs> and I said, Pastor Loser, that's insane. I can think of three things off the top of my head. <laughs> Probably more if you give me more time. I was encouraged to hear, though, that a few months later, that the pusher asked the pushy for forgiveness. She went and said that she was sorry. But I never heard from her. I never got an apology, not even after 20 years. And I wonder, how does, how does that happen? How do you ignore the Holy Spirit's leading for so long? That's not spiritually safe. And I would love for her sake if at some point she would come and ask for my forgiveness. And I would gladly give it. I'm not bitter. I remember it, but I'm not bitter. But it's not safe for her. And so when I think about it, uh, as I do periodically, I, I remain concerned to her, uh, about her to this day. Sin is serious. Sin is evil. We need God to rescue us. And so let me ask you, how do you view sin? If you were to be completely honest, how do you view sin? Do you actually see it as evil? Are you afraid of it? I mean, most of us are afraid of things that are evil. Are you afraid of sin? Do you pray regularly that God will lead you out of situations where you might sin? Or do you sometimes think, you know, sin's not that bad? You're probably familiar with the phrase necessary evil. I mean, is evil ever necessary? I mean, how did that ever become a thing? But that's how people can view sin. I, I would say that the greatest thing in the world, the greatest thing in the world is for us to have a close relationship with our Creator. That's why we're here. It's the greatest gift that God has given to us, Himself, a close relationship with Him. And the most evil thing in the world is what disrupts that, and that's sin. Sin is evil because it separates us from God. And you know, only the Holy Spirit's work in a person's life can get him or her to see sin as it really is. And so if you're honest this morning and you realize, you know, I don't see sin that way. I don't think it's all evil. Sometimes I do think it's necessary. Then I would just urge you to pray and ask God to open your eyes. Ask him to show you how wicked all sin is. It's not all the same. But ask him not to help you not take any sin lightly. Our sin led to the pure 
and the perfect Son of God coming down from heaven to die on the cross. That is how evil it is. And if we grasp that, if you and I grasp how evil sin is, increasingly over, over time, we will gain victory over it. The second affirmation that we need to make is that we affirm that we are vulnerable to sin. You and I are vulnerable to sin. By praying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, we are acknowledging that we are constantly at risk from sin and temptation. As the song says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. One commentator put it this way, every step we take is a step into the presence of temptation. There is no moment in your life that is not a moment of temptation, a moment when unbelief and disobedience is not a possibility. Every moment really brings that choice. And I think vulnerable is a good word because it helps us to understand our weakness against temptation, but also the appeal that sin has to us. See, I have, there's no appeal to me to getting hit by a bus. No temptation, no desire at all. But I am vulnerable around a bunch of fast-moving buses. But the problem is that sin, even though for a short period of time, gives pleasure. There's a desired aspect there. And that risks us giving in to temptation. But here's a thought I want you to consider. The value of knowing your vulnerability is that you will take greater precaution. The value of you knowing your vulnerability against sin means that you will take more precautions against it. So imagine you're walking down the, the sidewalk on a beautiful summer day. You're probably not giving any thought to, uh, to falling. You're just walking. It's pretty easy. Now imagine that same walk in the middle of the winter when there's ice all around you. And now you're conscious of every single step. And, and you don't look like this cool person walking down the street. Now you kind of look like a little foolish because you're always afraid that you're going to fall. But there's a lot of wisdom to that, right? This last summer, we went to the Grand Canyon. I was overwhelmed by how big that thing is. Have you heard about this? This thing is huge. It's, it's grand, really. After coming close to the edge, and by close I mean about 150 yards, uh, I realized how vulnerable I was at the Grand Canyon. And I prefer to see the Grand Canyon from the safety of New Mexico. As soon as you see this thing, it, it really, for me, it was truly, truly overwhelming. And uh, I'll say overwhelming, not, not scared, not, not frightening, but it was that too. And uh, I, I knew that the closer I got, the more likely I was to fall or just, quite frankly, throw up. But there was a woman that was walking on this kind of long peninsula that, that jutted out into the canyon. And she was wearing a, what looked to be a bride's dress. And she was being photographed. And she was walking back and forth on this thing, completely ignorant to the fact, you know, that there's this death trap around her. Just walking. All she could focus on was the photographer and, uh, and how nice her dress looked and so forth. And I thought, either she's very brave or she's very, very stupid. I mean, what if a strong wind, I started thinking, what if a strong wind or a herd of buffalo <laughs> rushed out on that, that rock and, and she fell off? It would be terrible. 
So some people simply do not realize their vulnerability to the things that are around them. They don't take proper precautions. One scholar noted that the request, lead me not into temptation. This is Jesus teaching us not only to be concerned about past sin, which is what we previously dealt with, forgive us our debts as we forgive those, uh, our, our debtors, but it's also a concern for future sin. It's, it's really a prayer Jesus is teaching us to not only be concerned about past sin, but to recognize your vulnerability and hopefully your hatred for sin, that you pray that God would even keep you out of situations where you might be tempted to the point of sin in the future. You know, and that's really the mark of someone who understands what sin is all about. Not only a desire for forgiveness for past sins, but pleading with their Heavenly Father to keep them from circumstances that might lead them to greater sin. And on the surface, it might sound like a, a prayer for an easy life, right? So, oh Lord, if you could give me a temptation-free, pain-free life, I would sin a lot less. Do we have a deal? And I think that's a deal the Lord's not going to take. Because the Lord doesn't want soft, weak, faithless Christians populating heaven. I can only imagine why. What God really wants is he wants to build courageous, strong, faithful men and women who showcase his greatness in heaven. And you know, that takes trials. Trials are a means to that end. Trials are the things that God brings into our lives to make us more like Jesus. That's what James 1 says. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's worth it, right? Perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That is what God wants for us. So the request isn't for a, a temptation-free life. That's not possible in a world that encourages us to sin. This request really is a heartfelt plea to our Heavenly Father to help us avoid sin and to help us avoid situations that might lead us to sin. And so can you see the wisdom of Jesus' teaching here? He knows what we need. He knows how we ought to pray. If I am sensitive to sin, past sin and future sin, it will change the way I pray. I might find myself, and you might find yourself praying more like the author of Proverbs 30. He says this, Lord, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. That's the desire of our hearts, not to profane the name of the Lord. And so we would say, Lord, if, if being rich leads me astray, if being poor leads me astray, if being full leads me to dishonor your name, then I want none of those things because I want to honor your name. I want your name to be glorified in my life more than I want riches, more than I want a full stomach. As the Holy Spirit leads you, you will pray against the sinful inclinations of your heart, perhaps against materialism, perhaps against sensuality or the affirmation of other people, 
that in your desire to honor God's name, you will ask him to keep you from situations that might exploit your weaknesses. But then you'll recognize that Jesus himself implies in this passage that God might not. You might find yourself in the midst of an evil situation. It could be because of a sinful decision that you made, but that's not the end of the story. He then says, pray to your heavenly Father, deliver me from evil. I am surrounded by it. I am tempted by it. Deliver me from evil, and your heavenly Father will hear from you. Sin is evil. We are vulnerable to temptation and sin, but that is not the end of the story. We are not alone, which brings us to our third and final affirmation, that we affirm God's desire to help us. That's a great and marvelous truth. Have you ever needed a home repair and somebody recommended somebody to you that turned out to be a complete disaster? Right? Like, oh, you need a plumber? My son-in-law is a plumber. He's great. And then you bring him over to your house and you find out that the guy can't tell the difference between a telescoping basin wrench with spring-loaded forged steel jaw construction and a tub drain wrench? <laughs> like, are you serious? Those are real things, by the way. I looked them up. Sometimes we go to the wrong people for help, right? So we, we don't know them well enough to know if they actually can help us or not. But here's the great news. Jesus knows the Father. Jesus knows the Father perfectly. And so by telling us to go to him and ask not to lead, be led into temptation, to be delivered from evil, Jesus really is affirming two things. He's saying, one, there's no one better for you to go to. You need to go to my Father. And secondly, He's also saying by teaching us to pray this, he's saying, I know he's going to answer these requests. I know that these requests are in alignment with God's will. Not only is God willing to answer these requests, he's far more able than we can. He's willing and able to meet us in our hour of need. In fact, he delights to do so. He absolutely delights to do so. That is great news. Jesus is telling us we are not alone, no matter how difficult the situation gets, no matter how close we are to sinning, and how we feel like there's no other option before us. We are not alone. And Jesus will always provide a way of escape. That is awesome sauce. That's lit. That was for the third graders. That is lit, if that still means what it meant yesterday when I, when I read about it. Because that changes, right? I want to read two passages that, that show us God's desire to help us. The first is in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The next one is in Hebrews 4. I paid for them to be up there. Okay. All right. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Familiar to some of you, I'm sure. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. That's a promise. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Every single time. There's always a way of escape. You are looking to God, you will find it. He is going to provide it. And then Hebrews 14, Hebrews 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Isn't that great? I mean, those promises couldn't be any more clear. So how does God answer the request in our passage? This is how I think God answers it. I think the beauty of Jesus teaching us how to pray this way is that when you and I pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When we pray that regularly, when we pray that sincerely, the very act of doing that reaffirms in our minds that sin is evil, that we are vulnerable, and that God desires to help us. It reminds us of those very things. Praying this reinforces all of those truths that as we draw near to our Heavenly Father, we focus on His holiness and on the purity that is necessary to walk with Him. I think that's wonderful. So how might we pray this prayer today? I think we should tie it to the previous request that God would forgive us our sins. Because as we're aware of how the Holy Spirit is convicting us, take some time and think, well, how is the Holy Spirit leading me in in my times of confession? What sins am I most prone to? What am I most often asking forgiveness for? Where do I struggle? And then ask godly friends to help you see your blind spots and then pray against them. Just bring them to the Lord. And so you might pray something like this. You might say, Lord, you have blessed my work But I now sense in my heart a temptation towards pride and materialism. And God, I pray that you would rescue me from those things. Or you might say, Lord, this illness, this this illness has gone on for so long and I'm beginning to doubt your love and I'm beginning to grow bitter. Father, save me from that. You know, it's almost a cliche that men will not ask for help or for directions, no matter how hopelessly lost they are, right? I've been there. I think to myself, if I can find the sun or the moon, I can get home. And so the tendency is to not ask for help. And I I also think that students, far far too few students, ask their teachers for help, even though their teachers would gladly give it to them if they asked. I mean, sometimes your teacher will even give you the answer. I remember going up to a teacher during a test, and I was pretty little, and I said, uh, I, said I, I think the answer to this question is this, but then I remember that you said this. And she smiled at me, and she said, go with your first instinct, which has never served me well in life since then, but that time <laughs> it did, and I got the answer right. You don't have to go it alone. Sin is evil. It is evil. And you and I are vulnerable to it. But God desires to help us. Willing and able to help us. I began by telling you the story of Karen who got hit by a bus. Her encouragement to those who read her story is simple. She said to ignore our sin, to refuse to repent of it once it's been pointed out to us, is as disastrous as ignoring a massive bus bearing down on us. Sin is like getting hit by a bus. Surviving it requires the divine intervention of the Creator. And even when it doesn't kill you, it causes you needless pain. And we can't get out of its horrible consequences on our own. We need God, who provided that ultimately through His Son, Jesus Christ. 
So if you're here this morning and you don't know him, you're not in Jesus' words born again, all of this sin and its consequences are still on you and they will be for eternity. And Jesus invites you to himself and he says, receive me, receive the forgiveness that I offer. Receive complete and thorough cleansing. God is here to help those who right now don't know him through his son. Just as he is here to help his people. Can you imagine what it would be like if that wasn't the case? Praise God that even though you and I sin every single day, he stands gracious and ready to forgive and ready to help. That's how much he values the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Amen. Amen. In closing, I want us to pray this wonderful prayer together again. And I hope that as we do so in closing, that it will be much more meaningful to you and that you will go back to not this prayer exact, exactly as it's worded, but as, as it's a model that Jesus gave us. And it will teach you how to pray for God's glory and for eternal things and for a spiritual walk with the Lord that he wants to bless us with. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.